Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. He's the founder and managing partner at Rare Breed Ventures, which is a pre-seed fund that invests in exceptional founders, and he's exceptional himself. Let me welcome back to the show, McKeever Conwell II. We call him Mac. Mac is back. Hi. How's it going, Karen? Happy to be back. Yeah, yeah. Y'all brought me on on some heavy stuff. But it's all good. I know you can handle it. I know you. You, you want to talk about Nyquil chicken? We good. I'm oh good God. with that. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like I like right before I came on, I saw the FDA put out this report about telling people not to marinate their chicken in Nyquil. Apparently, people going on TikTok calling it sleepy chicken. What's wrong with these people? Like, like, do you want to get clicks that bad? Like, that's what that's what yes. all this is about. Yes, that's like the people who, um, you know, make lasagna on their counter with their cat on it, you know, and everyone's sitting there like, oh. no, but I feel like this is the the wave now. You know, a Paula Patton not seasoning her chicken and not washing it, you know, we're like, oh, what's happening? I feel like they're, they're, they're trolling us so that we could talk about it, and this is how they stay relevant or in the news. I guess. I don't know. So <laughs> That's a bit wild. So I I got I've been getting uh, harassed by the senses. You know, I feel like once you 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 sit with the senses, you, they figure you're the one person that's going to talk to them. So now they call, they call me and send me all kinds of stuff. Now I got to do 511. There's so many different senses. Yeah. Right. So now there's the crime. There's the crime one that I had to do. And then I had one for my business. So I was like and they were like, it's only going to take 20 minutes. I said, who has a spare 20 minutes? I got trash TV to watch. <laughs> but I sat and I, I filled out the damn thing. It took a little more than 20 minutes, but as I'm going through it, Mac, there's so many sections in the census, business census on tech and mm-hmm. all of the different ways AI, does your company use AI? And if so, how does it use AI? And what, you know, what kind of technology are you using? What did you use in the last year? With around, and I was like, this is interesting. So the government's gathering this information about companies and it's so tech driven that I'm like, we, I, I'm like, maybe I should find a way to in, introduce AI. So if I have a business, Mac, how mm-hmm. how could I use AI to then get this government money like Tom Brady? All right. So I put that out there. <laughs> I want that Tom Brady. Hey, you know, I wish I could have invested in autograph Tom Brady's company, but you know, I, I'm not one of those type of investors. Well, it depends on the business. Like, it depends on what your business is, right? AI can be used for all different kinds of business cases. The most simple one, easy to understand, is like having a chatbot, right? Having something to simply have people interact. So instead of you trying to answer everybody who's coming to you for something, having a simple chatbot that goes through triages people, helps triage your emails, you know, lets you know who's serious, who's not. You know, that's like on the simple, you know, business case all the way up to, you know, if you got a if you got a beauty company, maybe you have something where people take a picture of themselves, and you got AI that goes through and figures out their pigmentation and gives them like, hey, this is the perfect color for you, right? Like, it depends on the business and how deep you want to go with it. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways to use it. AI is just a tool, but yeah, you know, try to get that money and all those tax breaks. All right, I was also processing, you know, because I had Don Dixon on earlier. Yeah. Um, Don Don's awesome. She is awesome. I was also processing, though, what do we need in our community? Like, I feel like a lot of people are building businesses to go get that next round of funding or to get that mm-hmm. that forever, the, you know, that retirement funding. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do we need in our community that will, sustain, you know, that will be life-sustaining? 
life sustaining. All right. So we were talking about that crazy NyQuil chicken. Let me tell you about a company that, you know, I think is super dope out of uh, Detroit. Um, it's a company called Breadless. They make sandwiches out of leafy greens. So Swiss chards, collards. So no need for bread, right? Wait, well, let me tell you a little bit about wait, the founder. Hold on, hold on, hold on. A world without bread? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's blasphemy. I feel like Jesus is not smiling. On well, here's the thing, bread. right? You don't need all that <laughs> gluten in your body. You don't need that starch in your body. There's a bunch of people in our community that are pre-diabetic and diabetic. They don't need to be having bread anyway, right? You are correct. You're, you're right. Then, you're right. Let, me, let me tell you a little bit about the founder, right? This dude played uh, football at under, um, at undergrad at Brown University, studied finance, goes into, private, goes into investment banking at Morgan Stanley, then gets his uh, MBA from Harvard, goes into private equity doing sports arena deals, so like helping sell sports arenas. And the whole time was a dude who like cared about his health and didn't eat bread and couldn't find the company to invest in. So he started his own. When he puts his first brick and mortar store up, he puts it in Detroit, Michigan, across the street from Section 8 housing in a black neighborhood to prove out a concept like this could work in a low income neighborhood. Why? Because he's black. And he started this company with his wife. Right. Like those, those are the kind okay. of things. All right. Where... Listen, I'm on the site right now. Let me, um, I'm only apologizing because I love bread, but I don't, I don't eat any bread. I only eat sourdough bread because I read that there's a lower glycemic, uh, thing. Uh -huh. If glycemic I'm going to eat bread, it's going to be sourdough. And it also helps with your digestion. Not that it helps helps. Like, so if you eat half a loaf, you're going to get, you're going to catch that work, <laughs> but two slices, you know, yeah. with, you know, with a little salmon is, is not a problem. But this looks delicious. I want the kale and the spicy chickpea with the turnip greens and the collard greens and the smashed falafel with the spicy vegan aioli and the pickled turnips and the yeah. Arabic pickles and the tomato and the onions. <sighs> that looks delicious. He put it in a neighborhood like the kind that he grew up in. Because he said when he played football as a little kid, his mom always took him to get McDonald's. He's like, where do we have yes. to go? So he wanted to put it there first. Come on, breadless. You know. That's the, okay. That's the kind of innovation you see yes. when you get okay. folks like so, some money. <laughs> so they came to you for funding, Mac, or is this is this one of the companies you invest in? Because I want to be in on this. Uh, I can neither uh, confirm or deny at this okay. moment, but right. I will say if you if you want to learn more, Karen, <laughs> me and you can talk about it. Yeah, um, I want I want in on this because even their snacks, they got little carrot chips and little collie pops and little yep. jicama chips. And the drinks, the Midwest juicery with the beets and the yep. um, the carrot gold. I mean, this this even the raspberry lemonade energy. Uh, I mean, this in the in the hood, and I, I'm saying hood because it's the neighborhoods that we live in. Should yep. not have horrible food on every corner. This is a great mm -hmm. option. Ah, chef's kiss to them. Matter of fact, Mac, can you? drop some information for Smiths because I want to have them on the show because this yeah, yeah, yeah. right here, this is what I know about you. Uh, absolutely. I I'm happy to, for those who want to check it out, the website's eatbreadlist.com. Super dope founder, out, you know, out of Detroit, originally from our way of Ohio, right? So, you know, that's the oh, kind of stuff it. our people do. You know, if you want another one, yep, I'll I tell do. you about a company called Juno Medical. Juno Medical is the next generation uh, primary care uh, doctor facility that focuses on the family instead of the individual. The founder Achille is um, a black man who was a physician turned McKinsey consultant who specialized in medical payments. Like, you know, you're not gonna find a better founder for this. His mm -hmm. first one he put out, he put in the middle of Harlem. 
Come on. Like day one, this is where we started. The next three are going to be in some very famous black neighborhoods too. And he just closed a huge round of funding from some big name individuals that, you know, next time I come on the show, I'll be able to put some names on it. But, you know, this is the big one. Um, you know, people think like he's trying to beat out one medical. No, he's trying to be the next Kaiser. Mm. Right. Oh, you just made but, me. So let me let me ask you this, Mac, uh, mm -hmm. and dr drop his information as well, because I'm on his we'll site. During the pandemic, you know, we, mm -hmm. we probably had a doctor on every day mm -hmm. and we interviewed a doctor who had um, got gotten her degree or gotten trained in Cuba. And she talked about being in Cuba. The, the, the You know, we know Cuba, first of all, 99 percent literacy. Hello. They read in yeah. Cuba, y'all. They read. They, you, they may be embargoed and all that, but they read. But also they they train doctors throughout the diaspora right so right. so you know this this system might be racist but they're not racist there you go to venezuela all throughout the caribbean island africa brazil they can go to cuba and then they deploy their doctors to places that need doctors right so she went right. there got her training in cuba and she said the the beauty of being in cuba was that in the neighborhoods there was a doctor or a nurse in every neighborhood and they knew everybody's status, who needed, you know, very few diabetes, but who needed medicine, who was sick, they would check in on the people. And so after that interview, I reached out to, um, I'm going to say it, uh, one of the doc another doctor that's been on the show many times. And I was like, can we, because in my neighborhood, I just went to an urgent care and it was a good experience, but it's not in our neighborhood. Like I had to go to another person's neighborhood to get care why don't we have these in all of our communities where it's dignity, where people feel seen. And I, you know, talked to a hospital in, in Boston, shout out to Boston, who's doing that. And I talked to Dr. Soares, who has a hospital in Somerset that also is doing that. But I was like, where is the urgent care, you know, model? Is Juno.care that, is that, what, what are they? So not only can you get your urgent care, you can also get, you see your OB, see your primary or see your pediatrician. So the idea is they created a facility around the project manager of the home, which is usually the mother of the home. So when you go to schedule, you schedule appointments for everybody at one time. You do it all digitally. You can actually pay for your visit at the time of schedule. So you can pay for it weeks or months in advance of even going. And if you come in for urgent care, never get a bill in the mail. You always get your bill before you leave. Wow. Right? Like he's trying to bring transparency to this whole process. And you and can, if you have insurance, and if you don't have insurance, you can pay with a credit card. If you card. don't have insurance, you can pay. And they also have a membership plan. So if you want to become a member there, you get you can get special benefits there as well. And if you don't have insurance and you're a member, might be able to get some good treatments. I love this. Now, as a investor, yes. you're always looking for scalability. Yeah, hundred X. How can yes. we? So, how does a business like this scale when, when it's predicated on a dwindling uh, supply chain of doctors and healthcare physicians, right, or health uh, providers? There's a dwindling yeah. a number of people are leaving in droves. I mean, that's true, but it was only a few weeks ago Amazon bought one medical for three billion dollars. What? Right. Uh, so. I mean, 
I mean, Amazon's trying See, to own the world, right? That's but what I just said. It's just... hard to avoid. If we were going to boycott Amazon, you basically would have to live in a tent somewhere with no internet and live off the off the grid. Look, y'all say what y'all want to say about Jeff Bezos, but you know, every now and then when they send me something that ain't right for me and I call them up and I'd be like, yo, this is the wrong thing. They'd be like, just keep it. We're going to send you another one. Look, man. Take my money. Keep making my life easier. All right. But no, but I'm saying, but the thing about the medical profession, you're right. It is a dwindling profession. People are leaving, especially after the pandemic. We saw a huge flight, but it's still close to a trillion dollar industry, (laughs) y'all. Like he only got win, but he only got to give so many customers to make this a billion dollar business for us to get big dollars out of it. Right. So at the end of the day, there's enough doctors supporting the folks for me as an investor to make money and hopefully his care centers are going to bring the type of care and the type of quality of life for not just the patients but the doctors as well that will bring more back into the profession that is a goal right so it works both ways oh wow um from an investment standpoint for you mac Mm -hmm. mac conwell is here the second um and we got through all of his genealogy last time he was here so that was nice uh, how do you assess value? We were talking with Dawn about that. So she has mm-hmm. 10,000 investors. She's looking to, to be acquired and then she's got to cash out and give everybody their coin. Right. Right. From the other side, as an investor, you see something like a Juno care, or I think more difficult would be breadless, right? Mm-hmm. How do you assess value to something that is so cost intensive to start up? So, First, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about breadless a little bit, and then I'll talk about how we do valuations, and, and I'll give some nuances there. The thing about breadless is um, one of their first investors, or actually their first investor, is the first investor in Sweet Greens. For those who don't know, Sweet Greens was founded, I think, in like 07, maybe 2010, started getting investment in like, no, they got the first investment in 2010, and then by 2013, started taking in investments every year after that when they went public, they went public at a $3 billion market cap, right? Like, so like there is a model to follow for this company. Um, but when we talk about valuations, I I work with companies early on. Like I'm an early stage investor, which means I'm one of the first investors in. And so that means when we do valuations of companies, it's a lot more art than science. As companies grow and they got more going on, it becomes more science. But at my stage, it's really a function of how much equity, how much um, money does the founder want to raise? How much equity does the VC or investor want to own? And who has what leverage, right? And so like starting point, let's say founders like, yo, I want to raise a million dollars. VCs are like, we want to own 20%. Okay, your valuation is now 5 million because a million out of five is 20%. That's the starting point. And then we start to push and pull on leverage. Your leverage points are going to be as a founder, you know, do you have a bunch of investors who want in on the deal? So if you got a bunch of investors, you'd be like, hey, you say you want to get in at five, but I got like eight or nine other folks who want in. So I think we're going to do this at 10. Okay. Or what the market demand. So if we go back to like 2020, 2021, the venture space was really high and valuations were really high. So then like the starting point for everybody was like 10, 15 million, right? When then during normal times, it might be like five to eight. And so it, it all depends on the push and pull. And then on the flip side is the VC. Let's say you don't have a bunch of demand. The VC might be like, ah, you know, you think you're worth $5 million, but we're the only game in town right now, and we really like you, but we think it should be at four. 
Mm-hmm. But you as a founder got a choice. Like, do I take a lower valuation and give up more equity? Well, if I need the money, it's going to do what I got to do. I got a hard decision to make, right? So at the earlier stages, that, that valuation stuff is a lot of science and negotiation. Once you get to the point where your company's making millions of revenue and you have EBITDA and all that good stuff, well, now we can start to assign, okay, like, are you going to do 10X revenue? Or are we going to do 20X revenue? But then, even then, like, we just talk about, like, funny money. The company Figma just got acquired by Adobe. It's the largest private acquisition ever at, 20, at a $20 billion valuation. It was a 50X revenue. 50, mm. Like, 50X revenue, that's ridiculous. But they got a $20 billion valuation, got acquired for $20 billion. So, you know, if you're an early investor in Figma, you just made your whole career. How do we get into those numbers? And and what so looking at breadless because I mm-hmm. I went to Sweet Greens while you were and I was like why isn't it in Jersey? It's not. The closest one is in in New York. I'm not going to New York just to get that. There's no breadless in my area. Uh, Juno Care to 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 have these companies be you know billion dollar companies, but for it to benefit us, like how do we get into the game? You know, um, I have a stock portfolio. None of the stocks in my portfolio are black owned. And it's not because, you know, for lack of trying, I'm a dividend investor. There are no there are really no black owned companies that pay a dividend. Right. So how do we how do we build those? And then what what does it require, you know, for somebody like you and I and I wanna go on this journey with you, Max. So mm-hmm. hopefully you'll keep coming back until we, you know, put all of the pieces in place. But what what does that require? Requires a lot. I mean, you got to figure, you know, even when I talk about Sweet Greens, they started in 07, started getting money in 2010. I think they go public in 2020, right? Like it typically takes eight to 10 years for a company to get to an exit, a, a big exit. Mm-hmm. And very few companies ever get there. Most companies never get that far. So that means you got to have a bunch of companies at the top of the funnel that hopefully you get one of them that gets to that part, right? But then like, how do we get folks to be able to be investors in those, we got to lobby. There are so many rules around who can actually invest in companies. Like to invest in a private company, technically you have to be what's known as an accredited investor, right? And to be an accredited investor means you have to make $200,000 a year for each of the last two years based on your taxes, or you have to have more than a million dollars in um, assets, not including your personal residence. That's a really high bar. And then when we talk about when you do make the investments, whether you're investing in a venture port, uh, venture fund like mine's or directly into a company, they're limited to only 99 investors, right? Like these are rules that have been on the books since the forties to protect mm-hmm. people, you know, post um, the great depression. We in a different world and different time and legislators are still hemming and hawing about this. And, and here's the interesting fact, right? Like, if you follow me on Twitter, you can probably figure out what kind of politics I have, right? You know who's out, who's actively trying to make changes to those rules to help more people get in? John Oswald. Republicans. What? They care about the money. Uh... And whenever I talk to Democrats about it, they're always skeptical because the, Rub- the Republicans support it. And I'm stuck in the middle like, I need y'all help. Right. But they like, nah, that those, those folks in the other aisle support it. There's something Stupid. wrong here. Stupid, yeah. And so uh... then you get caught up and it's like, I got I got to go to who's, who's helping me make the change. And right. I don't want to work with these people. Y'all not helping me. Right. Y'all making me work with the people I don't want to work with. And they're inside of trading. And they're inside of trading. Oh, I mean, here's the thing, right? 
When you have money, you hang around people with money. And all people with money do is talk about money. They talk about what businesses are bringing in money. They talk about how to get money. Like inside a trader, what? The kind of opportunities I get to see because of work, the work that I do is ridiculous. And I'm not even I'm not even a rich investor. Like I'm working on it. I'm trying to get there. But like the stuff I see and the conversations I'm in, I'm just like, yo, how do how do we get more of us doing this? Yes. So Matt Conwell you know, is doing it. So you but have- I'll tell you this. Come on. Before I go, before before you move on, I gotta mention this, right? Next week I'm gonna be in Tennessee for an entrepreneurship conference, a thirty six eighty six. Well, when we were talking about it and I was tweeting about it, somebody mentioned Fisk. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna sponsor 10 students from Fisk University to come to this conference. After that, one of my investors, Ed Zimmerman out of New York said, I'm gonna join you. And then Christy Pitts from Backstage Capital said, can I get in? We're gonna sponsor 30 students from Fisk University, historically black university and college to come to an entrepreneurship conference in Tennessee. Why? Because exposure is important. Love it. Oh, you are. Do you have your 99 people yet, Mac? Not yet. <laughs> okay. All right. So is there room? Like, what? what is it? What There's is always it? room for family. There's okay. always room for family. Right. What, so what is it was required to be a part of your venture uh, group? So you got to be an accredited investor, unfortunately. Like, those are the rules. Not unfortunate. Right? That's an aspiration. Yes. That's aspiration. You got to be a credit investor. And we we typically take a check, a minimum check of 50K. But if you can't write 50K, I do have other options for folks. And I will say this, Rare Breed Ventures, we're currently raising a fund too under the 506C designation, which means we're allowed to public solicit. So don't have nobody from the SEC come calling me. Like I'm doing, I'm all above board here, y'all. I love it. Hmm. Okay. And being a part of your venture allows us to get in on some of these things that you uh, are some of these yeah. opportunities that are coming your way. Exactly. If you invest in the venture fund, then that means you are your money's going towards every company I invest in. So, so that means whenever a company in my portfolio exits, you get a check. Now, the return profile is like the best venture funds are going to like 10, 20, 50x, right? The best companies are going to 100, 300, 500x, right? So the risk and return profile is different. You're far less likely to lose all your money investing in the venture fund, but the high end that you can get is going to be different. So mm-hmm. you want to think about if you have the if you have the ability to invest in venture, you want to think about in your portfolio strategy of being able to have do some in venture funds, and then some in direct companies. Right, that's the proper way to diversify that kind of portfolio. All right, next time you come back, let's let's do an anatomy of that. Because okay. I imagine some of our listeners, you know, they have, uh, you know, $100,000 under, under their mattress or in their bra or in their safe at home, but they need that money working for them. And yeah. this is almost like the way currency should work, where we invest in companies that invest in our community and the money comes back and then they get big. Like we got to be in that churn of money going in and out of our community more than six hours. So I appreciate the work that you're doing, Matt Conwell. And so you're going to be back. Mac will be back. Matt Conwell the second. Thank you for being here today. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.